Welcome to the Victorian Parent Council VPC Parent Podcast Series. VPC is a registered charity organisation dedicated to everyone who support parents in educating their children. I'm Jackie Vanderveld, your host today. So good evening and welcome to VPC Live. Um, this evening we're going to hear from uh, our fa- one of our favourites, Deanna Dow, who's going to be uh, speaking to us about creating a roadmap for exams. And we know that uh, our Year 12 students have got their heads down, tails up, and they're, they're ready to go. Uh, and uh, we've also got our Year 11s, Maybe not quite yet, but but fairly but fairly close um, to getting there. Um, so it's uh, it's very it's applicable to all of, to all of those age groups. But really, I think if you've got younger students as well in the in the house, uh, you've certainly got uh, some really good tools that will be coming your way this evening um, that will be useful. So uh, tonight, if you've got questions, please pop them in the chat um, or in the Q&A button. And uh, we've got the bottom of, at the bottom of your screen and we will get to those towards the end of the session. But I've got to say that Deanna is such a wonderful presenter that most of the questions you're going to ask, I can probably guarantee you she would have answered by the time we get to the Q&A. Um, the other thing too is that we will have a survey at the end of this session this evening. And, and that really is important to us because uh, we do report back to the Department of Education about the events that we run. And also too, it helps us to understand the sorts of events and the sorts of issues that are of interest to you. So uh, we're very, uh, very keen to hear from you at the end of the session. So you will get a survey link. So now we've actually, Deanna, you're actually an international guest this evening. So <laughs> welcome. <laughs> Deanna, yes, Deanna's, now is the, Deanna's the founder of uh, True Coaching and uh, she has very generously agreed to, to be one of our experts um, across this year and in previous years as well. So, uh, Deanna, I'm going to hand straight over to you because you are the expert and away you go. Thank you, Jackie. Yes, signing in from Abu Dhabi today, 42 degrees and sunny, not to make any of you too jealous, but um, yes, and this time of year is probably one of the most critical as we head into exam season for our VCE students. So naturally, having done this for coming on to 10 years now, we start to pick up on a lot of the patterns that students experience uh, coming into exams, some of their concerns and, and some of the strategies that really work for them. Now, obviously, every student is a little bit different and has their own their own needs and their own, own ideas and their own strategies that work for them. But we've managed to collect Uh, a lot of strategies together in a roadmap that works for what we found to be close to 85 to 90% of students. And if not, some slight variations can put your students on the right track. So today um, we're going to be looking at creating a roadmap for exams. Now, obviously most applicable immediately for year 12s, Um, year 11s coming up shortly, but this idea of creating a roadmap and creating a path a clear path towards exams or assessments or tests is such an important skill for students to develop as early as year eight, nine, and 10. So just keeping that in mind, we will be referring a lot to VCE students today and and VCE resources, but the actual skill itself is absolutely applicable to younger students. But why has the need for creating roadmaps and and creating these pathways come up. When we're working with students, some of the most uh, uh, common questions are, where do I start? How do I study? What do I need to know? And when am I ready? And when you ask students how they're feeling heading into exams, a lot of it is, I'm feeling stressed, I'm feeling overwhelmed, um, I don't know what to do. And there are lots of ways that we deal with stress as humans, and there are a lot of different definitions and triggers for stress. But the way we like to think about it at True Coaching is stress comes from the unknown. Stress comes from not knowing where to start. Stress comes from not knowing when you're ready, if you're ready, what's going to be on the exams and and how that's all going to unfold on the day. So 
the way we try to eliminate that stress is eliminating these questions. So if we can have students walk away from you know, a, a session like this or our coaching, knowing where to start, knowing what to study and how to study, knowing exactly what they need to know and being confident that they're ready, then that's how we eliminate the, the stress for students heading into exams. So what we need to think about is when we are setting students up, it's not enough to tell them what to do. We need to explain why. And when we explain why, we need to relate it to them in a way that makes sense. So for the purpose of this uh, workshop, whether you're a parent communicating this to a student or a teacher encouraging a student or even a student watching this, we're going to take you through why a roadmap is necessary, how, what it can look like, um, and, and how we put it together, starting from the learning pyramid um, and the, the idea of what learning is and what makes it more effective, then introducing some active study strategies before we head into the actual roadmap itself. So to start from the very beginning, which is the very best place to start, we were going to look at the learning period pyramid and retention rates because in order to know how to study and how to learn, you need to know what that looks like. So this is a model that we use in a lot of our workshops and a lot of our coaching because it outlines different types of uh, learning activities that students are used to and their retention rates, which is how well students actually retain that information after these activities. So at the top of the pyramid, we typically start with lecturing and reading. So to attend a lecture is to be in a class where you are spoken at or to. So when you're sitting in class and the teacher is talking to you, that is lecture style learning. It is, you are sitting there and someone is speaking to you and giving you the information. On the second, um, the second tier is reading, where you are reading and interacting with the information yourself, um, but just purely sitting there and you know taking that in. And while these are two of the most common forms of learning in the current education system, they only yield retention rates of five to ten percent. So if we were to assess this child on this information a month later, two months later, three months later. Well, their maximum capacity is going to be at that five to 10% mark. So obviously we can see that, you know, rereading or just being told this information over and over again is not necessarily going to help in exam study. If we move up a little bit down on the pyramid, but up in retention, we start to get audio visual information. So that's when students are looking at videos or um, a set of pictures while being spoken to and reading and, and really engaging a lot more of their senses at once. Um, and that brings the retention up to 20%. And then demonstration, which is being shown how to do something, not just being told what to do, but being shown. How? So again, these are really common tools used in the classroom, but all of them really only yield up to 30% in retention. So how do we get a little bit higher to the place where we want to have our students um, retaining more information than 30%? That's when we start to get into more active strategies. So engaging in discussion groups, which means you don't only have to listen and understand, but also get involved in the conversation and respond to that information. In order for a student to be able to do that, they have to have a general understanding of the information themselves. And when asking and answering questions, that is what really pushes the retention rate higher because the information has a purpose. It's no longer just something being thrown at them, but rather contextualized in a conversation. So that really boosts retention rates up to, to 50%, but never as good as doing it themselves. So doing it themselves is you know, really going to answer questions, apply it to case studies. If they're learning about something in theory that they can go put into practice. So maths, that could be applying questions, but in any other topic, it might be biology, might be physically going out to observe plants they're learning about or taking their temperature and understanding what that means and, and anything that involves getting hands-on and actually participating in the activities themselves. 
that's where you start to see a retention of up to 75%. The only thing greater than this is when you have an understanding yourself and you go to explain it to someone else. So finally on our pyramid is actually teaching others. So in order for a student to really know that they have grasped a proper understanding of something, they need to be able to explain that to someone else. If you can explain a concept and answer questions to another person, to someone that might not have an understanding and be able to communicate it in a succinct and eloquent way that leads to them knowing the, the information, then that allows you to retain closer to 90% of the content. And the key distinction between you know, your lecturing, reading and doing it yourself and teaching others is that the top four that just involve having information given to you are passive learning strategies. They don't actually involve engaging with the information uh, compared to active learning strategies, which involve you thinking, engaging, asking and answering questions. So based on this, let me spend a little bit of time on this pyramid because this creates a basis for everything from here on in. Based on this and based on retention rates, we really don't want the students to be spending a whole lot of time learning and doing passive learning strategies or rather engaging with passive learning strategies only to yield 30% retention rates. So if we can encourage them or steer them in the direction of active learning strategies, which yes, take a little bit more effort and yes, may take a little bit more time, overall, in, their retention ends up being a lot higher and they actually have to study less. So today is really not just about giving them here's 10 steps or 10 ways for you to study for exams, but here's active strategies you can use to improve your retention and get on track to, to be ready for those exams. So now that we know the distinction between those passive where information is given to you and active where there's engaging with the content, the next step is to understand what those active strategies look like because it's not always teaching someone and it's not always feasible to set up a focus group or discussion group. So how can a student introduce active strategies to their own study? At this point, we need to define active strategies in a way that students can understand. So for us, we say that it involves recalling information, recalling meaning the information is not in front of you, but you're pulling it out of your mind or your, or your memory bank without rewriting or rereading. So recalling information and or manipulating words, symbols, and ideas to better understand and retain new information. The manipulation is the most important part because taking something as it is, rewriting your notes as they are, rereading your notes as they are, means that you're not actually forming an understanding or your own views and perspective on the information. You're just trying to memorize something that has been given to you. But by processing the information and then changing the way it looks on the page from um, you know, taking it to a set of five dot points to a set of instructions or a flowchart or a mind map that starts to connect information using symbols and, and different, uh, different diagrams, now you have to understand how they're connected to be able to put that together. So active strategies really involves taking a bit of information and then manipulating it or changing it or interacting with it in a way that helps you understand it better and helps it stick and then recalling that information. So trying to pull it out of your mind when you need it at a later time. So active strategies are really categorized into three main areas, which are the three skills that students must grasp before heading into an exam. We've got memory, we've got understanding, and we've got application. Now, most of the students will spend 60 to 70% of their time in memory, 
um, less than 10% of their time in actually understanding the information, and then maybe 10 to 20% of their time applying. But if we actually flip the switch a little bit, we either need to be spending consistent time across the board or more time in understanding an application because memory is such a small part of learning. Even though it is small, it is an important part of learning. So if we had to look at some different strategies, memory strategies could include multiple choice quizzes and active cue cards. So active cue cards are cue cards that come in a question and answer format or something that isn't just information written on one side of a card. By having a question on one side and the answer on the other, you get to actually test that you know it rather than just recognize that you know it. Recognition is probably the, uh, the most commonly used strategy for students that give them a false sense of understanding or a false sense of confidence going into an exam. Because if you read something and you say, yeah, that makes sense and I understand that, that doesn't necessarily mean you can remember it and it doesn't necessarily mean you can apply it. So active cue cards involves having a question or a cue on one side and then the information on the other. So it forces you to think about what's on the other side of that card without having the information in front of you, which has now taken it from a passive activity to an active activity. Or something like multiple choice quizzes even though the information is there in front of you, you still need to remember and connect which is the most um, important or which is the most correct answer to that question. So anything that involves a quick check of here is a question, there is a defined and black and white answer to this question, that is considered a memory activity. Once we transition into understanding, this becomes more about um, putting information together in a way that connects concepts or helping you understand how ideas from completely different topics might be related to each other. So teaching someone and having them ask you questions back and forth or um, having a discussion with someone that actually allows you to question what you know and see if you can really push the boundaries of your understanding is a really great understanding strategy. While summary sheets actually force you to take information from lots of different places and manipulate it or change it into a succinct summary. So that process of having to decide which is the most valuable information, what's most important and what format is it most useful in is a test of your understanding. Then finally, application is where you start to look at actual exam style questions. They might be worth, you know, four or five marks, which force you to, you know, be writing not just a one-line response, but four or five or six lines in response to a, a question. So it really forces you to test your understanding and your memory in the context of, of a question or looking at case studies and scenarios. So Really, all three of these elements are very important to be able to, one, be confident going into an exam, but two, be sure that you've understood and applied and remembered everything you need for a particular topic, because memory alone won't help you recall um, or connect concepts in the, in the exams. And understanding alone won't help you get those full marks when they're asking for specific terms or definitions. So a balance of both is important. And if you don't know how to apply your understanding to new situations or new questions, then that is probably the biggest skill that you'll be missing on exam day. So memory, understanding and application for every topic is really important. But now that we know this, and that sounds great, how do we actually put this in place for students so that they can you know, know that, yes, for this topic, I have memorized what I need to memorize. I have understood what I need to understand and I have practiced application because to know and not to do is not to know at all. So how can we change all of this learning theory into practice? And that's when we start to think, where do we start? When do I start? How much do I do? And where am I headed? 
every student has a different way of sort of managing their workload. But we've found that honestly, having something written down as a starting point is obviously the best place to start. But after that, having something they can interact with, so tick off, cross off, I'm a violent highlighter myself, having something they can interact with to induce a sense of achievement is the next thing. And then having a measurable end point is even better again. So when we're thinking about where to start, we're talking about creating an exam roadmap. And step one to the roadmap is breaking down each subject. Now, for year 12 subjects, each subject's going to have four to six AOS, which is areas of study. So the most standard structure is two areas of study in unit three and two areas of study in unit four, but some might have three and two or three and three. So four to six areas of study. These are the topics that have been covered that year. So when you're looking at, you know, anywhere from four to five subjects that most students do in year 12, and then four to six areas of study for each subject, you can see how that can get potentially overwhelming. So first of all, breaking it down is step one. So for biology, you've got area of study one, which is cellular processes, area of study two, which is cell communication, area of study three, um, unit four, area of study one, et cetera. And it goes down the line. First of all, just having a breakdown of each of their subjects and areas of study is going to help them see the scope of work they've got, but it's also going to help them see that in isolation, each of these areas of studies are not necessarily too difficult or too overwhelming or too large. But yes, of course, when you're looking at all of the information together, it can be. So this breakdown stage is probably the most important part of um, of the process. So once you've understood each area of study, we want to choose three study strategies. Now, this is the part where the student really has to potentially reflect or be willing to experiment. So reflect on what has worked in the past or be willing to experiment with new strategies in the future. Because the aim is to choose three strategies, one memory strategy, one understanding strategy and one application strategy to start to create some kind of checklist. So for the purpose of this example, the student has chosen active cue cards to memorize definitions and facts and figures. They've chosen to teach someone the concepts when they want to test their understanding, which should have a D in it. And they have chosen to do exam style questions as an application task. So to get you know, a defined amount of exam style questions, which we'll talk about in a second, um, and tick those off for each area of study. Now, the reason defining them is particularly important is because students can often find that, you know, I know this strategy works, but it might not work for this subject or might not work for that area of study, or I know it worked this time, but it might not work next time. And all of these questions that they start to, um, all of these doubts or the, these, these questions they start to pose to themselves um, really creates a whole lot of uncertainty. And they end up with a really, um, a really varied distribution of their energy across their subjects and really do not do justice to thoroughly studying each area of study. So by defining what they're going to do in advance, it allows them to have some direction and some consistency across their subjects. Now, yes, there might be, for example, for maths, might be particularly difficult to teach someone else. So for understanding, it might be creating summary sheets instead of teaching someone. But in general, they must all have a memory, an understanding, and an application um, method. And once we've defined these, then it's about assigning due dates. A plan without a due date is not really a plan. It's just an idea or a dream. Once you start to create a plan and define some parameters, it does two things. One, it, it creates a level of accountability where they can say, oh, I've said that I'm going to get this done by this day. But two, it also allows you to 
better and more realistically um, map out the roadmap. Because if there are no due dates and you've just said, these are all the things I would like to get done, then you might find that you're spending a whole lot of time in one area and not in another, or you might find that you wait too long to get started. And then by the time you do get started, you don't have enough time to get everything done. So due dates are help to help to keep the task on track. So I actually want to go through the logic behind these due dates because there are a few different ways for students to do this. One of the ways that we suggest is focusing on a particular area of study on a particular day or in a study session. So the example here, the student has chosen to focus on area of study one, complete the active cue cards, which could involve creating the cards and testing themselves on the cards, and then going to teach someone else what they've learned on those cards and teaching them how they're connected and encouraging that person to ask them questions. So all in all, by the end of that day, we want them to feel confident that they have memorized and understood, at least on a basic level, area of study one. Before moving on to the next, and then maybe taking a break after that, perhaps there's a five-day break, given that you have other subjects to study for, and then another couple of days before the last area of study. The point of this being it might be a one-day break, might be a two, might be a five, because this is one part of a five-part roadmap when you include all your other subjects. But the point is we have strategically chosen to put the memory and understanding activity together because to memorize on its own um, isn't really a valuable skill, but to memorize information and then immediately go on to understand how it's connected can help. Obviously, we've left application out, but why? When it comes to exam-style questions, we want to try to complete them under exam conditions. Now, exam conditions includes timed conditions. Exam conditions includes not using your notes and resources. And exam conditions includes not having studied for three hours right before an exam starts to be able to rely on your short-term memory. So if we were to do these testing or application questions immediately after we've just spent two hours explaining the concepts to someone, we might be giving the students a false sense of confidence or understanding because they're digging into their first, um, their short-term memory. But by leaving a two-day break, between their memory and understanding and their application, it actually gives the students the opportunity to consolidate that information, um, which we know a lot of that happens overnight in our sleep. It gives their brain the chance to mull over what they've actually understood and what was just you know, short-term recognition. And then it allows them to test those skills using exam style questions. At this point, two days later, they're going to get a much more accurate indication of what they've retained and understood. And if they don't um, happen to answer those questions as confidently as they would like, they can then return back to the memory and understanding stage. But you'll notice that there is a lag at, for each of these of one, two, three days to allow for that memory and that understanding to reconsolidate so that they're testing under accurate exam conditions. So I really do want to spend some time sort of emphasizing what this is and what it means. So we are giving them the opportunity to forecast what their next two or three weeks looks like. You'll notice that these start, whoop, sorry, that these start dates um, are all right about now, 11th of September. Um, and even distributing them, you know, a few days apart, that only gets you to the 22nd of September, September which means the students will still have another month after this to, to study. So um, it is realistic for this roadmap to be started right about now. Um, but they want to be able to forecast what their next day or week is going to look like because they don't just have to study for one subject. They have to study for four or five 
And if they only try to plan the next week, then by the end of that week, they might not have studied maths at all. And then by the end of the week after, they might have just realized that they haven't studied chemistry at all, or they haven't studied health at all. And it really uh, can cause a lot more stress than just sitting down and taking a whole day to map out what the next month or what the next week or what the next two months look like to distribute that time. Once they have this, sharing it with people like their parents or their teachers or their study buddies or whoever they're working with can help keep them accountable to that as well. Or having some kind of coach or tutor around is also helpful in, in helping them stick to a plan. But essentially, they want to map out a realistic plan that allows them to tick all the boxes, but also gives them the opportunity to really mull over what they've understood and memorized before they get into the application part of the learning. So we've mapped it all out and we've decided that we are gonna be studying, you know, doing the basic um, revision and studying between the 11th and the 24th of September. Um, you know, that gives us two weeks to really review all the areas of study without overwhelming ourselves with, you know, half a day of biology. Each of these tasks can, can take an hour or an hour and a half or two hours um, and just spread that over the course of two weeks. After that, at some point, we're going to have to bite the bullet and complete some practice exams. Now, most year 12 students will have trial exams booked in either this week, next week or over the holidays. Because um, at some, some point, you do need to actually get those exams done. Now, we've written a minimum of five exams is recommended. So for every subject, you want to complete five exams. The most important thing is to complete these exams under uh, exam conditions or complete all tasks under exam conditions, rather, which we'll get back to in a second, because Part of the fear of exams is that they've never seen one before. They don't know what kind of questions they can be asked. They don't know if they can sit there for two hours on a single task and concentrate. They don't know what they will be asked about previous topics. So if we can expose them to at least five different variations, by the time they get to the fourth or fifth, they're going to feel a lot more comfortable with the format they're going to feel a lot more comfortable with um, the types of questions. They're going to feel more comfortable with the distribution of time and effort throughout the exam. So practice exams are the most important part of this process. When we say complete all tasks under exam conditions, this is about really getting students to allow themselves to make mistakes. One of the most important parts of learning is making a mistake, recognizing that mistake and fixing that mistake. Part of the problem with how students typically study with their notes with them, not really operating under any time pressure, referring to the answers where they can, doing things open book with a whole lot of resources, they're limiting their chances of making a mistake. In their mind, they're doing themselves a favor and they're studying to be better because they're limiting their mistakes. But what they're actually doing is limiting learning opportunities. This is a conversation we need to be having with the students that mistakes are gonna happen and they will happen and you will make them. Would you rather make a mistake at home while you're studying or on exam day? Would you rather make a mistake at home or on exam day? They're gonna happen anyway. When you position it to the students that way, they become more open to the idea of making mistakes. So when they study without their notes and a timer of 30 minutes to complete a task, if they don't get it done within that 30 minutes, they now know they need to work faster. That's a mistake, an opportunity to learn and an opportunity to improve. But if they've never done it under time conditions, they might not know that they need to go faster avoiding using supporting notes. If they get stuck and they just refer to their notes and write in the answer, they've eliminated the chance of making a mistake, but they've also eliminated the learning opportunity. Compared to if they get it wrong or don't write anything, register that a mistake has been made or a gap has been identified and then go and fix it. When you ask a student, 
how often would you make the same mistake over and over and over again? They often say, once I've made it once or twice, I never make it again. So we want mistakes to happen. We want them to feel the pressure of time and we want them to get a question wrong because it's going to show them that first of all, it's okay. And second of all, that you can't really learn or grow unless you know what you need to improve. So exam conditions is not just about seeing if you can finish it on time. It's about creating an opportunity for mistakes to be made to create opportunities to learn. So these exam conditions should not just be left for the actual practice exams themselves. You should try to complete your active cue cards and teaching someone without having supporting materials with you. You should try to complete your active cue cards under a bit of time pressure or your exam style questions with some time pressure behind you as well. All of this fosters an environment where mistakes will be made and therefore lessons will be learned. So that's probably one of the most important lessons to take away from this is that encouraging um, an environment where mistakes can be made will encourage more lessons to be learned and more improvements to be made over time. In summary of the checklist so far, we've broken it down into areas of study just to at least give the students a more broken down tangible um, perspective. Some students choose to break it down further. Some students do choose to to um, include learning outcomes as well. So in the study design, there are the dot points or learning outcomes that the students need to achieve for each area of study. And some students do break it down to that um, micro level, um, which is okay as well. But we found that this is a, probably a good enough method as a starting point for most students. Due dates, allowing um, the students to distribute their time over the course of two weeks, not try to smash out a whole subject in one day or a whole unit three in two days or whatever they're thinking um, might be a good cramming approach. Balancing it out over the course of two weeks while also ensuring they, both, they memorize, understand and apply. And then also giving them that time to mull over information they have memorized and understood before applying. That's where we're at now. The five practice exam minimum is really just that, a minimum. On average, students will um, typically achieve, uh, typically complete 10 to 12 practice exams. If they're trying to get close up above 65, 70 ATAR score, they typically need to be pushing double digits of practice exams. But five exams is a really good starting point or starting goal for students um, to get the exposure to the questions. So this is an activity that you can do with a student if you're a parent or you can guide them through it. If you're a teacher, you can send them a little snapshot of how this would look um, to try and encourage them to create this roadmap. But the reason they're doing it is the most important part. So talk them through why they need to have each of these elements. From here, we need to tick things off. Day one, after a few days more, a few days more, et cetera. Ticking them off is probably the single most important part because I'm not sure about anyone here who writes to-do lists and, and manages tasks, but that process of ticking or highlighting or moving it out of your inbox or whatever it is that you do to signal achievement is what releases the dopamine and what keeps us going and motivated and builds momentum. So having something that the students can physically tick off to measure their progress is so important because as a student, it's not just now about studying for exams and not knowing where to start and not knowing where to end. The aim of the game is to fill out this whole table with green ticks. They have a tangible target. They have something they want to achieve, something they want to move towards. It might be to highlight them all. It might be to cross them all off. If they've done it in an Excel spreadsheet, they might be highlighting it in a different color or or whatever it might be. Ticking things off is so important, right? It really gets their momentum and their sense of achievement done. But also, just looking at this snapshot alone, we have answered most of students' common questions. Where do I start? Well, you start with memorizing the first area of study. More specifically, how do I study? Well, you use active cue cards. How do I know when I'm ready? 
when you've ticked all of these boxes. Now, even if ticking all of these boxes doesn't mean the student's magically going to get 100%, right? But once it starts to get to the week before exams, a lot of students are going to be questioning, I would have, should have, could have, I wish I had, I wish I'd done more. What if I had done this? Or did I study enough for that? So as a parent or a teacher, being able to say, well, have you memorized and done your cue cards for every area of study? Yes. Have you taught someone or done a summary sheet or tested your understanding in some way for every area of study? Yes. Have you applied that information to an exam style question for every area of study? Yes. And have you exposed yourself to exams under timed conditions? Yes. Well then, student, is there anything else that you think you should have or could have done? When you talk to them that way, well, they're going, well, if I've memorized and I've understood and I've applied, then I am ready. And giving the students that opportunity to feel ready is um, really powerful. So this is really about giving them that opportunity to make a plan, but also to realize that they are ready and good to go. That's the importance of ticking it off. Now, in terms of building this, you won't have to completely build it yourself. If you have attended today, you'll get access to a, a roadmap template that we've um, put together. Um, it's based on you know, a very simple model for, for five VCE subjects, but feel free to create, modify, and do whatever you need to on your own to make this work for you. Um, but this exam roadmap template just gives you a bit of a, a guideline on how to fill that out for your student, if you are a student, for yourself, or maybe even something you can share with your students as a teacher. So we have provided that roadmap today. But this is not the only tool that you will need or could need um, for your exam. So if, it, if you are faced with a student who needs help, and they don't know where to go or where to find it, remember that the VCAR website tells them everything that they need to know for their exams. It outlines what, uh, when the exams will be, what they're allowed to take in with them, how long they'll be, um, and everything they need to know. But more specifically for each exam, um, there is the specific requirements and and. I guess, um, what is expected of the student for each subject. It's broken down in this way that every VCE subject um, is available. And when you click on these subjects, you can see the study design, which outlines exactly what you need to know, what those areas of study are, what the learning outcomes for each area of study are, what are the major themes of understanding or, and the concepts that they expect you to know, for the exam, um, as well as past exam papers. Right? So past exam papers are probably one of the uh, most valuable tools, but I would argue that the examination report slightly outweighs the paper itself. So a past exam is the questions that the student had to answer, um, the students had to answer in VCE in the previous years, and you will get to see um, what types of questions were asked. And you can go back all the way to 2006, I think, on the VCAR website. So lots of different examples for you to look at. But the examination report actually outlines what did students do wrong or what did students do well last year. And it highlights some of the key areas for improvement as a cohort. It tells you that a lot of students make these five common mistakes. A lot of students tend to forget to do this. A lot of students um, missed this idea or this concept. So it's actually almost a guide where you can learn from others' mistakes as well as your own. So encouraging students to not just look at the exams, but to thoroughly read the examination reports is really, really important. Um, as well as for some subjects, um, for example, like physics, it has the specifications, which are what's gonna, what the exam looks like, how long, what style of questions. It has a sample written exam. So again, samples with more practice questions and a formula sheet. So the formula sheet that will be available to the students on the day of the exam. 
So this applies to a lot of the math subjects um, and science subjects like chemistry and physics, which have these resources. You would be very surprised at the number of students who have never been to this page or do not, do not visit this page until way too close to their exams. Remember to share that this resource is available to them. So it goes back to even earlier than 2006, back to 2002, and as every exam, as well as the examiner's report, which is BCAR's notes on those exams. Some other places that students can go to find help, um, their teacher. Now, at this time of year, the teachers are under a lot of pressure to finish marking all the, the assessments, the SACs, before the due date, to create and mark practice exams for all of the students, to answer all of the questions that the students have been holding in um, all year. They are still the first point or the first place to go for help, but they're not necessarily the only place to go. I encourage students to collate their questions into some kind of email and send it to the teacher so they can get all the responses back to them in one go instead of sending 10 emails or trying to organize five different meetings or spend some time to create a list of questions, collate them and take them to the teacher in one sitting just to make the most of that resource without um, having to wait too long for answers. The wellbeing coordinator um, at most schools is equipped to deal with the sort of stress that comes with exams, the pressure and everything else that comes with it. So make sure that the students are using that resource if it is available to them. And then external academic uh, resources such as subject tutors, if they need one-to-one -one help, a lot of tutors take on an influx of students at this um, point of the year. Um, but again, for them to make the absolute most of it, I would always recommend making a list of their top concerns and top questions or attempting exams and identifying the questions that they don't know and bringing that all together to a tutor. And then there is a study coach, which is similar to uh, what we've gone over today. This would be what a typical coaching session looks like, which might help a student set up a plan or choose a study strategy or help them understand what and how to approach all of this. Between these four resources and their independent uh, ability to seek out VCAR resources and creating a checklist and you know, supportive parents and everything else in between, we're pretty sure that students can answer those common questions that we outlined at the start of the presentation. Where do I start? Refer to your checklist. What do I need to know? Refer to the VCAR study design. What study strategy should I use? Either reflect on your past and what has worked or talk to a coach or a teacher. Um, and how do I know I'm ready? When you've ticked everything off that checklist, you can at least be sure that you have made your best effort in all of those areas. So we're hoping that that is um, enough guidance to at least help students uh, structure their, their holiday study a little bit easier. Um, obviously every student's roadmap is gonna look a little bit different and a little bit unique, but um, with a template and with some example strategies that we've given today, hopefully every student can find something in there that works for them. So I think finished a few minutes early, which is good for questions. So thanks, Jackie. Well, well Deanna, thank you. And as usual, you've actually answered all the questions. <laughs> so amazing. It's always an amazing, uh, thorough, succinct and uh, brilliant presentation that gives people some awesome toolkits. So I'm, I'm eternally grateful. I just wish I had known you when my children were going through going through these these exam periods um, because yeah. I can tell you as a as an ex chalky as an ex teacher these uh, these tips are invaluable um, so we've got some lovely comments there I think some people had some trouble with the uh, internet connections around the place tonight so a yeah. brilliant presentation uh, and they're looking forward to catching up uh, on the recording uh, they were just dropping in and out so but uh, some lovely messages there so if there was one thing that you would say Deanna that was the absolute must is there one one thing parents could encourage their students to do at this time what would it be I would say sitting down and writing a plan regardless of what it looks like this is one example of a checklist um, for some students it's getting a calendar out and writing what they're going to do each day 
um, writing some kind of plan and sharing that like as a family, like this is the plan that we are going to, to follow over the next couple of months. Because at some point, most students, I won't say every student, most students at some point are going to question whether they're doing enough or whether they're on track. At some point, they're going to start freaking out that they haven't done enough or, or they're falling behind or at some point they're going to be stressing because this is, you know, at this point in their life, this is the most stressful thing that they've had to go through because it's, you know, determining their future. So if you can actually, that is a really highly emotional conversation. Um, and a lot of parents will meet that high emotion with high emotion of I'm so proud of you and it's okay and whatever you do will be fine and all of these things, which of course is the parental instinct. But you're by matching that vibration all the way up there in that emotional region, you could be amplifying it <laughs> in some ways. Yeah. If we can actually just go, okay, great, let's take a breather, let's take a step back and let's go to that plan you created a couple of months ago, which at the time you said, you know, was going to give you the best chance of being ready. Right? Let's actually take a step back from what's happening right now and let's just take a step back. Does this plan still work for you? Is it something that we need to change that, that will make you feel a little bit more comfortable or, or a little bit better? Do you need help following the plan? And actually just bringing it down from an emotional conversation to a, okay, let's just take a step back. We're not going to study today, but we're actually just going to reevaluate the plan and think about whether that's the right one for you. Um, helping students, most students will listen to logic once you kind of bring them back down to a place only if you've got them their buy-in in the first place so to circle back creating a plan with your student that they agree that they believe is a good way to get them to where they need to be is going to help mitigate future little fires and put them out um, if you can bring them and center them back to a plan that they created in the first place Lovely practical advice. That's a really good note to finish on. <laughs> so thank you so much. Thank you so much, Deanna. That's, uh, that's wonderful. And uh, for everybody who is uh, on, online or watching the recording, uh, we have a survey for this evening. So I'm putting that back into the chat for you. Uh, so that you can, uh, where is it? Just trying to get it, get it up and working. I think don't think the, the copy and paste doesn't work so it doesn't work so well. So we've got the uh, the survey there. Thank you. Someone's put it up for me again. Uh, survey is there, so please fill that in and uh, join me in thanking Deanna. Um, so it's wonderful to have you our our our, our homegrown but but now currently international guest. <laughs> so lovely to have you, Deanna. Thank yeah. you so much for your time. Good evening, Thank everybody. You. Have a good night. Bye. Thank you to our guest speaker. We hope you enjoyed today's topic. Want to know more about this podcast and other VPC podcasts? Please visit the VPC website, vicparentscouncil.vic.edu.au and leave a review. We would also welcome you to contact us if you would like to be our guest or if you have a topic around parenting and education. Thank you to Melbourne singer Emma Sydney for her permission to use her soundtrack, Cherish. Until next time, thank you for listening.